Race matters. 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 This program comes to you from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'd like to start off paying my respects to our ancestors and elders across the continent. The colony of Australia is an illegal and imperialist occupation of 250 plus independent nations. No matter where you stand on this continent, you're standing on our stolen lands. Our sovereignty remains unceded through 235 years of occupation, and we continue to fight for our sovereignty and resist this colony even if it takes another 235 years. Always was, always will be. So welcome to Race Matters. Uh, my name is Kieran Stewart-Asherton. I am the president of the Black People's Union. I'm also a traditional owner from the Waniwandian clan of the Yuan Nation. And I'm joined here today by Dan, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, my name is Dan, or uh, and uh, I'm a Gurung man from up um, near Bradston. That's where my mob come from, and I'm actually speaking today from Bagunjan, or so-called Brisbane, and I'm uh, I'm the secretary of the Black, Black People's Union. So, yeah, welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, and I'd just like to also, you know, thank um, FBI Radio and Race Matters for inviting us to come on today and to co-host this show with them. So we're going to be talking through a few things today, um, discussing the voice, the general state of the left in Australia, and, you know, where we're going post-referendum. We just want our fucking land back. We still live and they can't stand that. Yeah, they kill you if you're black, Jack. Aussie, 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 what we call that. Down on the way, they got a popping off. Black days rising like a rocket launch. And black lives matter only when they get caught. No please for the cops, just please get up. This still piggy shot him call. Yeah, where to begin, where to begin. Um, could definitely talk about this subject for hours. Um, but yeah, I suppose we'll just touch on some of the basics. You know, first off, the Black People's Union, uh, we reject this voice proposition and, you know, we reject the constitutional recognition proposition that goes along with it. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we reject it. Um, I suppose they could be mostly summarised, though, um, by g giving a bit of the history of this proposition. This proposition first began in the Howard era government back in the early 2000s. And, you know, this isn't the first time that constitutional recognition has been talked about as a referendum process. Um, John Howard himself, um, as one of his election promises back in 2007, promised that if he was re-elected, that he would hold a referendum to recognise black followers in the constitution. Now, here we are however many years later, 16 years later, and it's finally made its way to the polls and we'll be going to vote on it in just over three weeks' time. But, you know, when we look at the history of this whole voice proposition, we see that it's, you know, really a underhanded manipulative proposition that's being put forward. It's something that MOB have rejected multiple times and we've spoken out against multiple times over the last 16 years. Um, colonial government keeps trying to assimilate us into their constitution, which is essentially what this all boils down to. You know, this whole proposition, it's 
very much based in conservative, regressive, neoliberal politics. And it's something that, you know, MOB have been speaking out against for the last 16 years now. Um, but despite our objections to it, it's something that the colonial government keeps trying to throw at us. And the reason it's got, you know, such bipartisan support um, in the way that it is being proposed by both sides of government, and, you know, people might say that it doesn't have bipartisan support and the Liberals are against it. But it was only the other week that Dutton himself come out and said, if this referendum fails, when he gets elected, he's going to hold another referendum to once again try and put us into this illegal, racist constitution. But, um, yeah, so what are your thoughts on The Voice, Dan? I can't wait for these next three weeks to go by. Um, we're at the BPU. We've been campaigning on this issue for about a year now. And uh, as we get closer and closer to the referendum, we're just seeing racism and division intensify on all sides of the argument. And there's more sides than just yes and no. I grew up in uh, rural Queensland, so I'm pretty used to open racism. However, what actually scares me is the unconscious racism from liberal centrists who are adamant that they're going to vote yes. They're the ones that worry me the most. Uh, the other day, um, there was a big yes walk all around the nation. And so here in uh, Magungeon, a small crew of us decided to counter-protest it. And we got that big giant First Nation flag out with vote no written on it, and we hung it from the bridge. And I decided to hijack the walk as it came onto the bridge and decided to lead it by walking in front with a shirt that said vote no, which was donated to me by Treaty Before Voice. The experience was pretty, pretty much an eye-opener. I was... I was physically attacked by a yes photographer and verbally abused by numerous white yes voters. No major media networks bothered to cover us. I was cropped out of most of the images on the walk, with the exception of about five seconds of footage on an ABC 730 report. The most interesting thing I noticed, however, was how white people would come up and ask questions and talk over the top of our answers, dismiss our concerns and tell us how they thought we should go about things or simply tell us to shut up. It felt extremely paternalistic. I lost count of the times I had to ask them to stop white-splaining and talking over the top of us. People have already decided to vote yes, begun, begun to behave like fanatics, and there's no rational way to discuss First Nations issue with, issues with them. They're completely unaware of how racist their behaviour and actions are, which is just a reflection of Australian settler society as a whole. It pretty much just reaffirmed for me that even if the yes vote wins, when the powerless advisory body hands down a report that doesn't align with whatever government is in power, it will be ignored as usual. Albanese has already confirmed this when asked if the advisory body recommended something such as changing the date of Invasion Day, that that recommendation would simply be ignored. So what's the point of a voice to Parliament if Australians won't listen anyway? We already have, and we always have had a voice, and Australians just aren't listening. We're still waiting for real land rights, an end to deaths in custody, the gap to close and racism to stop. I'm completely convinced that the voice to parliament isn't going to have any impact on these issues that affect us. And uh, these issues are exactly what uh, First Nations people were asking for at all the regional dialogues that led to the statement of the heart. Also, I noticed the Labor government has quietly dropped the Uluru bit too. Yeah, that's about all I've got to say on the voice. I'm kind of over it, hey? Yeah, no, yeah, very fair. But, like, you, look, you do bring up some things I just want to quickly touch on here just to reaffirm the listeners here. You know, we definitely have always had a voice. You know, what's lacking in the system is not a 
Aboriginal voice, what's lacking is colonial ears to listen to our voices. You know, we've had dozens of legislated advisory bodies going back decades and decades at every single level of parliament, you know, whether it's local, state or federal. None of these voices are being listened to. They just get ignored. What's the point of having a voice if it can be ignored at the end of the day? You know, they talk about wanting us to give recommendations. 31 years ago, 32 years ago, sorry, there was the recommendations handed down in the Royal Commission to Aboriginal deaths in custody. And, you know, in the 97, they had the Bringing Them Home report, again, hand down recommendations into stopping our stolen generations. 30-odd years, these sets of recommendations, and there's hundreds there, 30-odd years they've been sitting on a shelf gathering dust. Now, these are recommendations that could make real changes to real issues today, you know, recommendations that would save lives today, that would stop the fracturing of families and communities today. But the government refuses to implement any of these recommendations. They refuse to listen to us and to hear what we have to say. But supposedly, we're meant to put our faith into some tokenistic, brand new voice body that's got even less power than any of those previous bodies have. It's, it's, absolute, it's an absolute farce. It's an issue that's really taking a toll on First Nations people. You know, no matter what side of the referendum debate you fall on, it's an issue that's really impacting the mental health of our mob. And, you know, it's just the whole hypocrisy behind it. Like the irony of them organising their Yes 23 campaign walks on the same weekend as Are You OK Day? You know, what sort of crap is that? Especially when you look at the horrific stats and figures around mental health that our people live here in the colony under. You know, it's some of the highest suicide rates in the whole entire world, highest youth suicide rate in the whole entire world. And they're throwing us all under the bus with this whole culture war designed to pit, you know, to pit the working class against each other, essentially, while actually offering no way forward and no real progress, just more tokenistic reforms that set us back. But yeah, I suppose, you know, touching on that as well, and like building a bit on that. You know, one thing that we would like to talk about here today is the state of the left in Australia. You know, the left in Australia, it's its really a regressive, backwards, neoliberal scene. And, you know, not just in Australia, the Western left in general. It's its really in a state of disrepair at the moment. Now, what do you think about the left in Australia, Dan? Uh, the left in Australia, what can I say? Um Things have gotten dramatically smaller with this voice campaign. And uh, while they once proudly championed themselves as leftists, they've all seemed to have evaporated into liberal centrism and seem to have shown their true colours lately. Uh, Labour won the election by pretending it was a leftist party, as usual. But their actions, their actions speak the opposite. In my neck of the woods, it's, it's meant more approvals for mines, super dumps, locking kids in adult jails, suspension of the Human Rights Act, and uh, eco-friendly tourism that puts even greater pressures and impacts on the Great, Great Barrier Reef. In most of these cases, these development proposals have been rejected by local communities and governments, only for those decisions to be overridden by a loophole of ministerial discretion after developers have donated huge sums of money to the Labor government. Labor governments like to pretend they're leftists and all for social change, but their ideology is still based in capitalism. While the Greens might have done okay in so-called Queensland, they don't really have any real power, and their radical efforts in the lead-up to the last election have been effectively neutralised by Labor governments. 
it's a perfect example of how capitalism cannot be reformed. Well, left-leaning parties might pause the government's tendency to creep further and further to the far right. It's only temporary. It always ratchets to the right and slides into fascism. Another factor that I feel has decimated the left in Australia is this binary straw argument surrounding the voice by framing everyone who votes no as a racist or a vote for Peter Dutton. Not every no vote is based in racism, but every yes vote is regressive. Through the BPU, when we first started this anti-voice campaign, we were pretty much abandoned by just about every union, socialist, anarchist, and communist groups who fell into this simplistic political trap. A lot of them just weren't abstract organization entities either. Like I, I personally lost a lot of friends and comrades and was forced out of political parties and spheres. And pretty sure you and you've had, uh, and our other BPU comrades have had similar experiences this year. Um, that said, I think a bit of natural attrition can sometimes be a good thing. All those organisations are controlled by a vanguard of older, predominantly white, middle-class people who've become stale and fixed in their failing, inflexible and now outdated ideologies. What's been really inspiring, though, is to see like these new, younger, far more radical and far more socially aware and organised groups spawn out of this political environment. I'm kind of hoping it's a bit like a phoenix, and I'm excited to see what direction these new groups take leftism on this continent. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. And look, it's it's definitely something that is needed. You know, we do need a whole refresher of not just the Australian left, but the Western left in general. You know, when we look at the pitfalls and traps that the Western left has fallen into and how neoliberal it's become, it's become lately, it's, you know, really in an atrocious state of affairs. I mean, we've got, you know, so-called progressives and communists, socialists, anarchists and trade unionists out here campaigning, yes, alongside BHP and Woodside Petroleum and, you know, Rio Tinto. We've got people like Amanda Vanstone, John Howard's senator, the the, the very minister who actually was the one who abolished APSIC, sitting on the referendum council, which is pushing this whole constitutional reconciliation. You know, she's sitting on there alongside people like Tony Nutt, the chief of staff for John Howard, and people like Mark Texter, who was the political strategist who got John Howard and Tony Abbott elected here in Australia. You know, we've got all these so-called communists and socialists and trade unionists uh, marching alongside these interests to, you know, fundamentally undermine our sovereignty and our cause for self-determination, which is what this all boils down to at the end of the day. And it's it's really in such a shambled state of affairs, this Western left. It really needs a full reinvigoration. It needs to, you know, as you're saying, you know, it needs to be set on fire it needs to be burnt but from those ashes we need a phoenix to come out you know we need a whole new left to be born a proper left who's actually going back to its original roots of you know anti-capitalism and anti-exploitation and oppression instead of the left that we see now as a result of covid which is fundamentally a left you know quote unquote left who is out here supporting the interests of capitalist parties and you know i think I think COVID's a lot to blame for this. Um, we definitely seen a major shift in the left during COVID. You know, before COVID, we had a left who was very anti-establishment, anti-police, anti-colonial government. Then the government came in, brought in all these lockdown measures. Now, don't get me wrong, 
I'm not saying I don't believe in COVID. I fully 100% believe in COVID. You know, I encourage people to get vaccinated, whatever else. But the way that the lockdowns were handled, you know, we can't deny that they were handled in a way that negatively impacted the working class. You know, there was no rent rent um, relief. There was no mortgage relief. There was no services in place to provide, you know, food and medicine and education to people who were locked down. There was none of that in place. Instead, people herded it off into their homes and they were encouraged to turn into police themselves. You know, during the COVID lockdowns, we had people on the left essentially snitching on each other to police and becoming their own police force to, you know, enforce these lockdown measures. And again, you know, I'm not saying public health and safety is not important, but the way the government handled it was atrocious. And it's perfectly fair to point that out. Now, what happened during this mishandling is we had a lot of the left fall in line behind Labor governments like Dan Andrews, for example, and suddenly Labor could do no wrong. You know, in the eyes of a lot on the left during 2020 and 2021, parties like Labor, you know, they could do no wrong. And I think this has, this mentality and this psyche has somewhat remained on the left. So now when Labor turns around and says they want to assimilate mob into the constitution and undermine our sovereignty, we have a lot of people on the left you know, agreeing with that because it's something that Labor's pushed because they've got themselves stuck in this whole psyche and mind frame of being so pro-Labor and just towing the line for Labor. But at the end of the day, Labor's not progressive. Labor's not left-wing. Labor is only fractions away from liberal when we look at their policies. And in fact, when we look at how those policies impact First Nations people, Labor is worse than liberal in a lot of regards. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not an endorsement of the Liberal National Party. You know, they're a horrible, horrible conservative racist themselves. But we can't deny when we look at the statistics that mob are just as impacted, if not impacted worse, by Labour governments than they are by Liberal governments. And, you know, as you mentioned just before, Dan, earlier, um, when was it last month, we had the Labour government up in Queensland suspend the Human Rights Act so that they could lock 10-year-old kids, predominantly black kids, up in adult cells. You know, what sort of horrific, horrific violation is that? And this is meant to be a progressive party. And, you know, going back a few years, again, in Queensland, we see the Queensland Labor government doing stuff like extinguishing native title so that Adani can go and put mines in. You know, this is not a progressive party. When we look at it on a federal level, this year alone, we had Albanese you know, promise, as part of his election campaigns, we had Albanese promise to end the Northern Territory intervention. Earlier this year, Albanese and the federal Labor government, they didn't end the Northern Territory intervention. They rolled it out even stronger and harder. They reinvigorated it and they concretized it. And same as cashless welfare, you know, one of their election promises where they would end the cashless welfare card. What did they do when they got into power? They rolled it out into even more remote Indigenous communities, and they rolled it out harder into the communities it was already in. These people are not progressive. These people are not friends of First Nations people. They're not our allies. They're not trying to liberate us or support us. They're as much an oppressor and an exploiter as the Liberal Nationals are, you know, if not worse. This is the Labour government. And it's just so you know, shocking to see that we have so many people, you know, so-called leftists out there and communists and anarchists, socialists, whatever else, who, you know, claim to be these things and they claim to be anti-capitalist and anti, 
you know, exploitation and oppression, yet they're so happy to toe the line for parties like Labour, you know, this neoliberal party who is out there doing horrific things around the continent to First Nations people. You know, where is the support? Where is the allyship? And, you know, like, don't want to talk about the voice too much, but, you know, just touching on it again. You know, people talk about they don't want to vote no because they don't want to be aligned with Liberal. But no matter which way you vote, you know, whether it's that racist no or whether it's that regressive yes, at the end of the day, you're still aligning yourself with Liberal. You can't vote yes and say you're not aligned with Liberal when this whole proposition has its roots in the Liberal government. It's absolutely ridiculous that people would be out there campaigning and supporting big mining corporations and colonial oppressive governments while claiming to be some vanguard of the left. It's an absolute joke. I suppose, you know, moving on from that, though, um, you know, we don't want to just come onto the program and, you know, talk negatives. We want to talk a bit about the positives as well out of this. You know, there is a way forward where not all doom and gloom. There is definitely, you know, a where to after the referendum and a where to now. You know, I suppose, you know, for me, where to now and where to after the referendum, regardless of the outcome, we're going to keep building our community strength and our community power. And we're going to keep pushing for real tangible change. They're going to keep pushing for stuff like self-determination and land back. But it's just, you know, how we get there, I suppose. What are your thoughts, Dan? Aldo likes to say that this is our only chance, but uh, I think it's just because he wants to lull, uh, lull people into an end of history, sort of assimilators. At the, at the moment, I like to talk about models and how we could address colonisation, initiate a social revolution and perhaps create a public and a better world for everyone on this continent. One model I really like to promote at the moment is uh, proposing the idea of what would happen if we rejected the idea of a treaty with the Australian state and federal governments. Instead, what if we did something like uh, realigned our local council and electoral boundaries to line up with traditional First Nation boundaries? We've amalgamated and changed them around numerous times before. We can we can do so again. What if we declared all of these um, independent, all of these little local council boundaries, once they align up with First Nation boundaries, what if we declared them as independent First Nation states? And each of these First Nation states formed treaties with each other. And there's, there's historical and pre-colonial examples of this already. Like, for instance, up here, the, the Bunya Festival and the and the 1840s Black War here around the Gungeon, which includes my mob, you know, and a lot of others. Um, and uh, what if we went to, uh, once we create all these treaties, what if we then formed the Continental Union, kind of like the, the Iroquois League or the European Union, the African Union, or, and uh, what if we use that to create a true republic that just simply replaces Australia? We'd even remove an entire level of government in the process. We'd simply have local governments that scaled up to a continental level. And uh, I don't think I'll live long enough to see this happen, but I can dream. Yeah, look, I, I definitely agree and hear what you're saying. I think the thing is, too, the way that our psyches have been manipulated um, by all this colonial propaganda really has us thinking that, you know, these kind of goals are so unattainable and so far off in the future. But when we actually look at it materialistically and we take a proper analysis, it's not actually that far away. You know, Australia is a very young and a very juvenile nation. 
it's what 122 years since federation you know in the grand scheme of things we're a very immature nation and a lot of the other nations across the world especially those nations who have achieved a greater standard of living for their working class we see meaningful revolt and meaningful revolution within their histories it's it's almost as if it's a rite of passage that a nation has to go through now australia hasn't had that meaningful revolt yet we haven't had those meaningful you know revolutions and that rising up against corporate governments and capitalism and this colonial system we haven't had that yet and it's so overdue it's a rite of passage that we're ready to go through you know the system at the moment is so oppressive and exploitive of not just first nations people but the entire working class that it's it's nearly ripe you know what i mean that we're nearly there and when we again look back through history we see that sometimes these things are a lot closer to us than we could have ever imagined you know it's it's that whole beauty of hindsight i suppose you could say you know we're we're overdue for a reckoning here in this country now this country hasn't reconciled um with its history and with its foundation you know this is a nation where we've got to remember here you know australia is fundamentally a imperialist power it's a very strong imperialist power you know a lot of people you know might might be a bit unsure about exactly what imperialism means but i'm sure all of the listeners you know have heard for example how america is an imperialist power and you know they might even if they don't fully have their understanding around this you know they might recognize that part of this is america's role in its military you know occupations of other nations and its exploitation of natural resources from across the world as well as the role it plays in destabilizing and interfering in other governments around the world now australia is very much the same the only major difference between australia and america is that america's population time is population size is something like 10 times the size of our population here in australia but make no mistake if australia was the same size of america in terms of population australia would be the imperialist superpower of the world right now Australia is an imperialist occupation of 250 nations here on this continent 250 sovereign indigenous nations but not only that you know when we have a look at Australia and its role around the world we see this imperialism playing through and it's a long history of imperialism Australia has had a imperialist interest throughout much of the southeast asia and you know southeast pacific right now Australia is you know providing arms and training and funding to the Indonesian's occupation of West Papua and of you know the Timor Island and that whole band arc up there and you know we look at Israel's occupation of Palestine today Australia again providing arms and material resources and funding to Israel to occupy Palestine and you know people might be familiar for example with French's uh, you know the French um history of colonization and imperialism in Africa and how um the French really you know raided all of these resources out of Africa and stole all this wealth from Africa now, France has got so much gold in their treasury this yet there's not a single gold mine in France it all come from Africa but today do you know who the biggest mining interests in Africa are it's Australian corporations today Australia is the up and coming exploiter of Africa We have got mining corporations that are Australian owned and Australian based operating in 30 African nations today and you know they're over there committing horrific horrific acts of um you know violations against their workers you know these workers are 
being heavily exploited. They're being put into highly dangerous situations where, you know, they're losing their lives or, you know, suffering major injuries on the job over there at very, very extraordinarily high rates. And these are Australian corporations doing this over in Africa. Like Australia is very much the next up and coming imperialist superpower of the world. The only thing lacking is population. And this is what people in Australia don't understand and what they don't recognize and what they don't reconcile with. And this is what the left needs to actually address. You know, Australia isn't some victim of America's imperialism. Australia is its own imperialist superpower that's wreaking havoc across the entire world. Yeah, I think all I'd like to add to that is like more immediately, like um, next month, if this snow vote gets up and the left and left-leaning centrism gets decimated by the no vote, I'm actually quite optimistic to see how in that vacuum, the left, in giant sarcastic quotation marks for listeners, how can they reform themselves? Or are they just simply going to die by natural attribution? Um, working with the BPU and with other groups that uh, you know show solidarity with the BPU, I find it really inspiring and exciting to see some of these new, more radical and intersectional groups and movements They've got a much better understanding in the failings of party politics, neoliberalism, and centrist thinking. Their understanding and skills around community organisation and education, class consciousness, co uh, colonialism, dialectic materialism, and how all these things interplay with racism and First Nations is issues on this continent. I think it's time for something new. I'm quite hopeful and excited, and I can't wait to see what directions these new movements will take leftism in a post-referendum reality. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Keen and excited to see where we go after this. So, yeah, so for listeners who, you know, want to find out more about The Voice, um, definitely head along to our website, blackpeoplesunion.org. We've got a whole bunch of resources on there that go into the history of this proposal and why we are in such strong opposition to it. You know, we could have spent this whole show talking about The Voice and still not covered yeah, a fraction of what resources we do have on this voice and the analysis we put out on this voice. Um, also head to the blacksovereignmovement.com website. Make sure you, you spell black, B-L-A-K, no C in there. Um, they've also got a lot of resources and a lot of links to other resources as well, like Treaty Before Voices website, the Sovereign Union website, um, National Unity Government, a whole bunch of those progressive sovereign note voices and their resources being put out there. Um, we've also got some events coming up over the next week. Um, next Saturday, we are holding a fundraiser down in Canberra for the BPU. Um, we're hoping to stream that online. Make sure you follow our socials to see if we've got that option and you can you know, tune into that. Uh, myself and our Vice President, Leah House, will be speaking a bit more about the voice and the referendum. Um, then on Thursday, down in Nam in Melbourne, we are co-hosting a panel with renegade activists um on the panel will be myself senator lydia forb and professor chelsea wadigo um, we're going to be talking about sovereignty and the impacts of our sovereignty by this neoliberal colonial government i'm hoping to also live stream that one you know again tune into our socials for our updates on that and for any links that might go out um and yeah all power to the people Race matters. 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 Race matters.